0: Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziegler Podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. All right. Great to be here with you. And uh, what a weekend it's been. Had a Had a blast up at Man Camp. I don't know if any of the guys in here were up at Man Camp. And, man, we had a blast up there. Um, just talking about what it's like to be a man. It was, it was a cool moment yesterday. Uh, one that I, I won't forget is I was in the back Um, after we got them talking and then, you know, we did some worship and one of the guys leaned over like, I think we're like drowning out the music with our voices. Like it was just, it was awesome time together worshiping uh, as, as guys. And it's going to be back here with you, especially with this verse right here. Blessed are those who mourn. So this should be about as fun as a funeral this morning. I hope that that you are ready like happy are you if you are sad It's a funny verse for this weekend uh because th- this weekend is my first time I was I was over at North Shore just a little bit ago um speaking over there and I haven't been over there uh, yet and um so it's just I don't know how that happened but it's like let's send the homeless looking guy over there to teach them how to mourn they'll mourn over there so just kind of a funny way how that all that all timed out you know first week there but also their last but uh, serious question, though, like, what, what, what do we do with this right here? Blessed are those who mourn. Now, how, how do you apply something like this? It's like, all right, here's five ways to be more sad. You know, I'm pretty good at being sad, especially for Bears fan. <laughs> you know, so we, we know how to mourn. And I'm, I'm, really, not, I'm really not trying to, to play this up. Like Again, I know it's like Eeyore's favorite verse, but like, aside from that, like, what do you even do with this right here? Blessed are those. I get it. How do we make a full message on this? The more I dug, the more treasure we found. And and somehow this sad, oxymoronic statement, conflicting statement, surprisingly becomes beautifully powerful. We just have to dig together. And so I hope you're up for it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, same page we were on last week, Matthew chapter five. We're going to look at verse four. got Bibles in the chairs. It's page eight or nine in those Bibles. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use their phones or tablets. That's great, too. But Matthew chapter 5. Forbes magazine recently, and yeah, I just said Forbes magazine. To impress you, maybe. I know I don't look like the kind of guy that would subscribe. Actually, I'm not. I just ran across this. But Forbes magazine recently published a series of articles discussing how Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z are struggling with grief. They're calling it the Great Grief Crisis. Now, personally, I found that hard to believe. At least for us millennials, because it was my generation who championed the emo phase. Anybody remember the emo phase at all? It was like 2005-ish when MySpace was like all the rage. You had Blink-182 and Panic at the Disco and Sugar World going down swinging. Great song. I, 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 won't, I won't lie. I kind of got into it in high school only because I didn't really have any friends. And the emo kids let me hang out with them. Um, at least I think they did. I don't know. They always look sad. They didn't look more sad when I was around. Was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll take it. Um, But part of the vibe of the emo phase was just like, life is so tragic. You know, I'm sorry. I can't be perfect. Simple plan. And, so it's interesting to me that a generation that really spent high school grieving is now struggling to grieve as adults. But regardless, here we are. We find that many people, especially Gen X and younger, never really push past the first stage of grief, which is denial. There are a lot of people just living their lives right here. In fact, you might know somebody. You know, it's like, don't bring that part up, don't say that, because you know, they they're they're still living in denial about that. But today, God wants you to identify an area of your life where you're still right here. Area of your life that you just don't want to talk about. You work hard to distract yourself from. It's hard to go here. It's humbling to go here. Maybe it's even scary to go here. Maybe even it seems, you know, insensitive for me to press here. But with God's word in hand, we allow God to do a surgery on us if, if he wills. And so let's ask God to do what he so often does. God, we do come before you humbly as your people will gather together with your word in our hands, an amazing moment with brothers and sisters to hear from you. Father, your word is a is sharper than any two-edged sword. Do a surgery on us if that is your will. We humbly submit ourselves to you, ready for what you have to say. You will speak. I ask that we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in, we find ourselves on the hill that we were on last week. Welcome to Galilee, northern Israel. It's my absolute favorite place on the planet. And the view here is just something to drink in. Actually, from this vantage point right here, you can see many different locations that where Bible stories took place. I mean, it was on these very waters that Jesus walked on. It was on these shores that Jesus called many of his disciples Actually, on the hill just below the setting sun is the hill where Deborah, you know, the Judge Deborah, went to battle. That was that hill. To the right is the hills of Nazareth where the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth. And this is where Jesus would have grown up in these hills here. uh, Down here is where Jesus cast uh, demons into the pig. You know, that that story is like the demons went into the herd of pigs and they went into the sea. Like there's just no better place to sit. Just imagine all the different Bible stories. But today we sit with a crowd of people, most Jews, some Gentiles, people from all around the lake towns and and the hills have traveled to sit right here. And most of the people that we sit by are farmers or fishermen. Most of the women we sit around are illiterate. And as we people watch in the crowd, we can't help but notice the lack of hope in their eyes. These people live long, hard days. They are taxed heavily. They are often abused. They're uh, taken advantage of. They're often raped without consequence, and it feels like anytime they take a step out of their poverty, out of their oppression, they are thumbed right back down. Yet even though life is hard, there's still a glimmer of the image of their creator in their eyes. Though they've been beaten down, they woke up this morning with a tinge of hope, hope that there's something beyond this. There's got to be something greater than these days that we're living. And for some reason, the man sitting on the rock teaching speaks to that very part of them. And Matthew, who is here that day, records this part of Jesus' sermon. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, there's more to it, but at the surface level, when you look at this, this is a contradictory statement. In fact, when you look at it in the literal Greek, you think, well, maybe if you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's not going to be contradictory. No, it absolutely is, because you have makarios, which means happy, and Pentheo, which means sad. So it's literally, happy are those who are sad. Seems op- oxymoronic but it's absolutely brilliant what Jesus is doing here. See, the family's peppered all over the hill. They know Pentheo. They know know sadness and they know it well. In fact, just behind Jesus, as they're looking at Jesus, the backdrop to Jesus is that view that we were just looking looking at, that view that we can just kind of drink in. But to the people sitting, listening to Jesus, the backdrop to him was a daily reminder of their oppression and their sadness. See, there's one piece of landscape that just kind of seems to jump out on the Sea of Galilee. Most of the hills, they just kind of roll over each other. There's nothing too out of the ordinary, but there is one hill that really pops out on the horizon, and that is Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel towers over the town of Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene grew up. It's the part of the landscape that just really catches your eye. In fact, when I take groups here, uh, they often ask, like, what's up with that mountain? Because it just looks different than anything, anything else. Um, the first time I saw it, I like, committed to, like, I want to climb that. And, and since then, I've climbed it a couple of times. It's, it's a national park. People climb it for, for the views. But to the people sitting on the mountain, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's a daily reminder of their struggle. See, it wasn't long ago that their people, really their parents and their grandparents, hid in the caves of that cliff. Daily life had become so difficult that they stood up to the Roman government, causing them to have to retreat into the cliffs uh, to hide. In fact, it's a great place to hide because there are caves all along the cliffs. It's like impossible to attack. Problem is, it's their own king, King Herod, you know, the king who tried to kill Jesus, killed all the babies. Um, That king, uh, King Herod, came together with the Roman army and created, plat- so King Herod turned on them, created platforms and lowered Roman soldiers from the top on scaffolding. Almost like, you ever see like the window washers on, on the skyscrapers? This is what King Herod did. He lowered Roman soldiers down on hanging scaffolding. Roman soldiers then um, shot burning arrows into the caves, killing many people and smoking out the rest. So there was this massive, massive Jewish slaughter that day. And ever since, the beautiful landscape that we like to enjoy, it just wasn't so beautiful them the view serves as a sobering reminder, don't you ever try to pull yourself out of poverty. And so these people sitting on the hillside listening to Jesus, they lived in mourning and they lived in mourning for good reason. So to see a man sitting on a rock, who some say God is God in flesh, enter into their hardship and then have the audacity to sit there and say, hey, happy are you if you mourn. That's a moment you can't shake because you think of that, well, that's who I am. I live mourning, it's my life you don't feel blessed. Like, what are you, what's he talking about? Well, a couple of things to keep in mind. First off, we don't believe that this is a transcript word for word of Jesus's sermon. Partly because if you were to read the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end, it's five minutes. think like, well, that's why that's why Jesus was a good teacher. It's like a five minute sermon. Why well, don't you, should, you should catch on to that, Junior? Well, he's a Good preacher for other reasons. It wasn't five minutes. And you think about it too. Many people had traveled far, far to come hear Jesus. It was like for a five-minute sermon. Uh, we believe that these are bullet points, especially the Beatitudes are, are bullet points. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and then says more. Now you might be wondering, well, Junior, how come that's not recorded? I don't know. Why are you asking me that? Uh, no, John, who was is, is also there that day, he would later write that the whole world could not contain all the books to be written of what he said and what he did. It's just like, there's just so much. So this isn't word for word. The other thing to keep in mind as we look at this is I think that this is meant to be what I would call a mental time bomb. Now here's what I mean by mental time bomb. And I mean, this is a compliment. Women are great at this because they're smart. Guys in here, you ever get into like an argument with your girl? Okay. Of course not. But like, let's just say you do. You get into an argument with your girl and, and that's what, Healthy couples do, you know, they they argue. In fact, when I talk to couples, we're like, we never argue. I'm like, that's not cute. You guys aren't growing then. That's just you're like roommates. Like this is how you grow, right? You have to sometimes there's a little bit of friction, healthy friction. You have to handle it right. Um, but you ever get into an argument with a girl, oh, that's good, right? You have some good conflict, and then and then you make up, you find a solution, you know, everything is good. It's like, okay, that was a very healthy argument. Now we're better off, like our family's better off because we had that difficult conversation. But then, like a couple days later, you're driving to work, and uh, for some reason, it, the argument just kind of pops into your, your head, and you think, like, wait a minute, she said that—that's what she meant. Oh, that's good. And you didn't get it until later. It's like a mental time bomb. Like she was smart. She said something kind of veiled, planted it, and then later on, your sometimes slower male brain like catches up. You're like, oh, it goes off. It's like, oh, that's what she meant. It's like a mental time bomb. I got friends who are uh, brilliant. Actually, it's just I'm slow. They'll say things and like two days later, be like, oh, that was a funny joke. You know, it's like a, it's just like, it's a a mental time bomb. This is what Jesus is doing, but in, in a positive way. Like there he sits on the rock, Mount Arbel popping out in the landscape behind him. The sun is reflecting off the rippled water below. A deafening silence hangs on the crowd as every ear hangs on every word of Jesus's. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It's an interesting statement. It's conflicting. So it's inviting the hearer to go, okay, there's gotta be a deeper meaning to this. What does this mean? But it will click later on as they stand at the bedside of a loved one who just breathed their last, And they're swimming in emotions, confusions, like all they had on this earth were 70 years and they were hard years. Thoughts of regret, maybe a spouse that they at times mistreated and is now they're gone. Or it's a parent that they at times ignored and they can't get that back. It's in those dark, painful, confusing moments, Jesus' words were designed to echo out. Blessed are you, mourn. Do not run from this. Don't distract yourself from this. Don't fake it. Don't emotionally bury it. Embrace it. Mourn, for it's when we confront our brokenness that we find God. It's so rich, isn't it? I think about it like my daughter. Actually, my middle daughter. So I have, I have three girls All very different, and um, I was at man camp, so they're actually all up in in Madison, Wisconsin, and they're going to come home tonight, so I'm excited to see them, Um, but they're just a blast. I just, being a dad's the best. This is so fun, and and my girls, especially the older two, are getting to these ages where they're just like, they are going through emotions that I don't understand. Uh, Like the other night, my daughter was on the couch, and she was explaining uh, something that was highly emotional to her. It was very little. I don't. It wasn't emotional at all. But like was, she was very emotional about it. And as she's unloading on me, I like look at my wife and like, "What do I do?" You know, it's like. And so my wife's like training me how to like navigate all this with my my daughters. But anyways, my middle daughter is 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 a little bit different than my my other two. She's wired more like me, and I I know her well. So when um, when she's hurt, and I can tell when she's hurt. Um, because she's as sweet as they come. She's very thoughtful. She's very kind-hearted. But when she's hurt, she does what I do. She just kind of draws inward and, and she becomes guarded and will get feisty. It's a defense mechanism. Again, I'm wired similar. And so the other evening, I, I noticed that she was just being more reserved than normal, a little more severe with her sisters than normal. And all afternoon, she just wasn't herself. She was just she was sen- sensitive and just kind of bitey. And so finally, before, before bedtime, I sat her down and I looked at her and I said, baby, I know you. You got something you want to cry about? Why don't you just tell me what's up? And she just started bawling. You know, waterworks hops into my lap, big hug. Apparently somebody like teased her about her glasses or something. And, and she needed to say that it hurt her. And she needed dad to just hold her for a second. Now, after that moment, like literally two minutes later, I had Nora again. It was like, she just reappeared. She needed to stop running from a bother her and stop pretending and be all tough. Like that didn't bother me and she needed to just be held by her dad. But as her dad, I couldn't comfort her when she was running and acting tough. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting here. He's saying, stop running from that embarrassment. Stop pretending that what you did wasn't that bad. Stop pretending that what hurt you didn't really hurt you. Stop distracting yourself. The comfort that you crave is found in your heavenly father's arms. And you get there when you stop running and you confront your brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn for that's where they find comfort. And the truth is, some, many, really all of us, spend pieces of our lives running from something. And at times it haunts us. there be uh, ladies who will come into our offices just needing to talk, and, and for them, a lot of times it's an abortion. It happened long ago, and nobody told them to, told that it would take on them emotionally. And they carry it alone, and they hide it, and they've been tempted to share, you know, and mourn and, and get some other people involved, help them kind of sift through what that means, but they just can't bring themselves to it, and so, so they run, and they spend years overcompensating and just punishing themselves. It's like, nah, no, it's time to mourn what you did and confront how it broke you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like sometimes our faith, a big part of our faith is trusting God to enter into our own vulnerability. I don't want to be vulnerable and mourn, but I'm going to trust God that that's where he's going to comfort me because that's what he says. For many people, it's past abuse. There's nothing you did, but there's something that was done to you and, it, and it's embarrassing and, and you have these feelings of shame, even though you did nothing wrong, so you're not quite sure how to sift through that. And so you run, or you toughen up, or you grit your teeth. But Jesus pleads, no, that's not a happy life. You weren't designed to shoulder this on your own. Mourn. Sift through that brokenness because that's where you find your heavenly dad. We spend so much time running from that which we need to mourn. Failed relationships, regrets with loved ones, past blow-ups, acts of selfishness. We try to move on, but Jesus' point is you can't. You can't move on until you mourn. Your moving on is only blessed when you mourn correctly. And that's going to look different depending on the situation. For some, mourning looks like an apology. You were selfish there. Or you blew up there. And it's embarrassing. And so now you try to act overly nice to them, you know, to like make up for it. But like deep down, you know, and they know that you just need to mourn by apologizing and just saying, okay, I I just can't shake this and, and I need to apologize. That's where you find healing and comfort. For others, mourning looks like accountability you're stuck in a habitual sin. And though you feel bad about it, you don't feel bad enough to actually get help and enter into vulnerability and open up and be like, I need help on this. And so you, you keep on repeating it. This is why Jesus's little brother, James wrote, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Mourn your sin by confessing to one another. That is where you find healing. For some of us, mourning looks like getting into counseling. Let's really unpack What happened to you and how do we respond to that? What does moving forward look like? Mourning looks different, but what Jesus says here, however it is, if you mourn correctly, it is blessed. Stop acting like you got it because you don't. Stop acting like you've moved on, you haven't. It's why that situation came to your mind. It's why the situation keeps coming to your mind. Because this is how the Holy Spirit often convicts and works that situation is asking to be properly mourned. And when it is, it's when we find God's beautiful comfort. See, this seemingly conflicting statement or this mental time bomb of Jesus's in in Matthew 5, 4 is actually seen lived out in the life of King David in Psalm 32. Now, even if church isn't your thing, you probably know the story of King David and Bathsheba. It's like a scandalous story. King David sees a girl that he likes, brings her in. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. Big oops. About to be this national story. David does this big cover-up to the point of murdering Bathsheba's husband. And then David spends a lot of time hiding and running until God finally calls him to the mat through the prophet Nathan and says, no more hiding. You're, You're not moving on. You haven't moved on. You can't move on. You will mourn this. I will make you mourn this. There's no running from this. Let's deal with this right now. And Psalm 32, the chapter of Psalm 32 is actually part of King David's mourning process where David writes, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. I think some of us can actually feel this verse because many people, this is their operating system. They've just been coping over the years instead of mourning correctly because you haven't mourned. You're just wasting away. You haven't mourned. You haven't admitted that you were wrong. You haven't confessed. You haven't gotten help. You haven't extended forgiveness. And so you're just wasting away, groaning all day long. But then David continues. He says, I acknowledge my sins, mourned it, acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity and you forgave. And then later on, David writes, now restore to me the joy of my salvation. Meaning I wasn't enjoying dad when I was running. It's just like my daughter. I wasn't enjoying dad when I was running or acting all tough or trying to hide it. But now that it's like out in the open and I'm here and I'm mourning, can you just restore to me the joy of my salvation? And I wonder if you're there. Maybe not to the degree of David, but like part of you, I wonder if you're there. What are you trying to move on from? It still keeps catching up to you. What comes to your mind? Especially when you see that face. What's asking to be mourned, confessed, forgiveness extended, dealt with. Because that's the very space where God promises to meet you. It's where healing is. A few thoughts from this text. Why you should mourn. Why you should mourn. What would you learn at church today? How to mourn. It's like, certainly not a trendy topic, but, hey, but it's in the Bible. Jesus taught it. So here we go. Here's why you should mourn. Number one, you sin. You sin. And if you were invited to the bridge today and it was your first time, I kind of feel like I should apologize to you. You know, first visit here. And I hope, I'm sure the greeters were great because the greeters are awesome. I know them and they're awesome. And that music is good, you know, but then this guy gets up here and says, you need to mourn because you're son. All right, well, first and last time here again. But this is the teaching of Jesus Christ and we just can't escape it. God mourns over your sin. God mourns over my sin. Who are we to not mourn over our sin? Now I'll get pushback on this from people. I'll be like, hey, the cross of Jesus Christ means I'm forgiven. I can just move on. Yes, it does but you're still called to mourn. You're still called to mourn that sin. And then there's more pushback. It's like, well, why? Because God wants to like rub our noses into it? No, because we're far less likely to repeat what happened if we actually mourn it. For some of us, that habitual sin that we find ourselves in, whether it's lust, envy, temper, selfishness, whatever, we're not mourning each fall enough. And so like a dog returning to its own vomit, we keep coming back to it because we don't see it as vomit, because we haven't seen it for what it is and mourned it. It's kind of like the other night. The other night, uh, Nicole and I, we put our girls to bed and uh, we watched a, a documentary. Not we. She fell asleep, poor girls. World War II, so she was, just, she was out. But I was watching this documentary on the immediate aftermath of World War II. And maybe you knew this. I did not. It was new to me. But when the Allied uh, armies came into Germany and they came into Poland and they found the concentration camps, we've all seen the pictures. There's like the horrible atrocities. They, of course, were appalled as the soldiers were walking through. At the time, there was this feeling in Germany... And the German people just kind of naturally wanted to move on. They're like, okay, hey, listen, we surrender. We don't want to talk about Nazism anymore. So let's just kind of move on. Let's just don't, let's not talk about it. Now, the Allied Army came in and says, eh, not so fast. We're going to march you through the concentration camps before we clean them up. And you're going to take a firsthand look at the horrendous acts that you were a part of. And so for days, the Allied Army marched the German people through the camps. There was weeping. In Germany, for days, a sober, sombering feeling that just hung over the country. True mourning. Now, did it make it better? No. But the mourning over the atrocity challenged the German people to think, and this became a common saying immediately after World War II, never again. Two words, never again. And that came out of mourning by looking at the sin. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what we do over our sin. Sometimes we don't just move on quickly. Yes, the cross means that we move on, but sometimes it's not so quickly. We actually take a real look at the pain that we caused, do an inventory if we must, mourn that, confess that, seek restitution, and mourn. And it's in that humbling, sobering mourning that we find divine comfort, and we can move on saying, I don't ever wanna do that again. I don't ever wanna be part of that again. Number two, denying the lows robs you of the highs. It's natural to not wanna feel a low, especially in our society today when we can self-medicate and just not feel things. So we deaden our nerves and just distract myself. Let's bury this emotionally because I don't want to feel that low. The problem is, is that when you don't feel the low, when you deaden your nerves, you deaden your nerves to the highs as well. We struggle to feel excitement. We struggle to feel joy and happiness. You might know somebody where it's like, gosh, they're never happy. Like it's like, they're never excited. Well, it could be that they really haven't mourned something. They've just deadened their nerves to anything. Now, big disclaimer to this, like huge disclaimer to this point. Jesus is not teaching that you should become led by your emotions. It's up and down based on how you feel. Cloud nine in one minute and it's down in the depths and I'm mourning the next minute. That's called being crazy. And people will mourn just being around you because you're crazy. So Jesus is not teaching us to be crazy. You can and still should be steady, but mourn what should be mourned. It's actually one of the reasons that we at The Bridge, we actually discourage people from celebration of life services. And I'm not saying it's wrong. So if you've done one for a loved one, I I do not judge you. I understand the thinking. However, just hear me out for a second. Death is still death. It's still to be mourned. For example, when my grandma passed away uh, earlier last year and uh, she had Alzheimer's for two years. And so we had kind of mourned for two years because we had lost grandma. Way, you know, way before we actually lost her physically, and so I get doing a celebration of life service at that point because it's like, man, we've been mourning for two years, you know. But we decided to do a funeral for two reasons. First, my grandpa and my mom needed to mourn, and I didn't realize, it, but I needed to as well. I, I went up to do her funeral thinking like, oh yeah, is, you know, I've been mourning for two years, it's fine. Let's just do the funeral, and I bawled like a baby. But the other reason, the second reason, is we wanted to walk through that low together as a family. It's loss of life. Let's walk through that together so that when we see her again, it'll be more enjoyable because we didn't deny the low of losing her. See, if you deny every low and just tuck it away, bury it, desensitize yourself to it, you'll miss out on the highs as well. And you'll be a hollow shell of the person that God created you to be. Then number three, third reason you should mourn is you have an inner groan. You have an inner groan. Scripture is littered with this idea that there is this groan in you for the presence of God. God designed you to groan to be with him. In like fact, if you're in the bridge reading program or you're like listening between the lines or um, whatever, the, the last couple of months, we've hit these verses on groaning. In Romans 8.23, it says, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption. We're just groaning to be with God. Second uh, Corinthians, this was recent in our bridge reading program. says, for a while we are still in this it's body, but in this tent, we or in this, this, it says body, but it, it's tent in scripture. But it says we groan as we're in this like temporary body. Like you and I, we groan. So Here's the way I think about it. You know, those security tags in stores that are like on clothes or a lot of times electronics, those tags. And when they're in the store, like all as well, there's no alarms going off. But like, as soon as you take the tag past the door, what happens? Like, bah, 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 you know, it's like all the alarms go off. God tagged you that way. Ever since we left the Garden of Eden, our tag has been groaning. Ever since we were kicked out of the garden, it's been like bah, bah, in us because we, we, we were designed to be with God. We groan. We feel that groan as we, as we pass by a, uh, by a car accident. We see medics working on someone's parent. And we look at that, we groan. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be like that. We groan. We feel that groan when we watch the news, children being trafficked. We get angry. But really what we're doing is we're groaning. like, ah, oh, shouldn't be like the children in traffic. Like, that's far from what God wants. We groan for God to come and to rule us because that's what we want. This is why it's my favorite saying, this is, come, Lord this is, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. There's that groan in us for Jesus to come and rule. Now this doesn't mean that we live as emotional wrecks, but if we were to bring the kingdom of God into our workplaces, if we were to bring the kingdom of God into our neighborhoods, we groan where the kingdom of God is not present. And when we live with that groan, when we live with that mourning, God says, that's where I meet you. We feel his conviction and we see things the way he sees them. You were designed with that groan, it is far too precious to ignore. And Jesus teaches us, listen to it. It's where healing starts. See, may we never forget, the gospel of Jesus Christ has a deep low. Deep low. In fact, I hear people sometimes say, I don't go to Good Friday, it's just kind of like a morning session. Kidding me? This is when God in flesh came to die for our sin. We're to mourn that. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a low, God in flesh, lifeless and breathless. But it is that low that brings us to the high of the empty tomb. This is how we approach our lives. We embrace the lows because we know it's not the end. We groan for more, and that groan will finally and fully be satisfied in Jesus Christ in His return. But until then, we groan when we feel it. Oh, we celebrate what calls for celebration, but we mourn what calls for mourning. And it's in those dark moments when we're mourning and we're confused that we meet the beautiful comfort of dad. It's a confusing beatitude. But my goodness, it is a powerful one, isn't it? Well, the salty breeze blew over the, the dark waters that night. The iron hull of the ship seemed to almost glide right through the unnaturally tamed waters. See, for most of the passengers on the ship, it was a night to enjoy. Except for one man on the ship. He sat quiet in his room. His name is Horatio Spafford. He's a former lawyer, now worship leader with D.L. Moody. Spafford lost most of his possessions in the Chicago fire. But none of that even came close to comparing to what happened to him just two weeks prior. See, two weeks ago, Stafford's wife, Anna, took their four daughters on a trip across the Atlantic. Horatio stayed in Chicago to finish some things up and then would jump on the next ship and meet them later on. Tragically, his wife's boat was struck by another vessel and all four of Horatio's daughters drowned. Massive tragedy that drives parents to their own grave. The story goes, that quiet night over the calm waters, there was a knock on Horatio's door. He opened the door to find the captain of the ship. The captain, in the most somber spirit, said, Mr. Spafford, forgive me if this information is unwanted. But I thought you'd like to know we are nearing the spot where your family's ship went down. Well, Horatio grabbed his coat and headed straight to the deck of the ship to shed tears over the very waters that bury his four daughters. It's in those painful moments on that dark night that words began to just spill out of Spafford's soul. Words that would would touch countless other souls. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that has taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Without Jesus, this makes no sense. Says two weeks ago, four of your daughters, Horatio, how can anything be right with your soul? Because the one who stood on the mount that one day and said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall find comfort is the same man who went to the Mount of Jerusalem and took a cross and connected us back to God. And it is that very connection that has become this deep well where we can find peace and comfort when nothing else makes sense in this life. See, Jesus didn't just say these words. He made them happen by taking our sin to the cross. My sin is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. So I can say, it is well. It is well. My soul." Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.